Hello, everyone. When I started these podcasts uh, well over a year ago, it was because in both my personal and professional lives, I was aware that I was just uh, surrounded by people with a wide variety of interests and and knowledge and experiences and stories. And I I just uh, found that I was very curious about these things and just wanted to know more. Uh, I guess I uh, would consider myself uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And, you know, I, I sort of self-deprecatingly say that I know a little bit about a lot of things, but, uh, but uh, uh, not a lot about a lot of things. So uh, I thought it would be, uh, first of all, fun and, and worthwhile for me to sit down and talk to people who have uh, knowledge and experience that I don't, and if along the way uh, others uh, learn something too, uh, all the better. Um, so we've, you know, we've had a chance to cover a lot of topics, and I'm always on the lookout for uh, interesting people and stories to talk to, and uh, reaching out to people. And we've got some some uh, podcasts planned coming up that I'm I'm hoping come to fruition. You know, it's a Sometimes a big step between uh, the idea and the planning and the actual uh, completion of the podcast, but we're working on on some things. I'm um, I'm interested in uh, looking and drilling a little deeper into things like depression and anxiety uh, and PTSD. Um, got an interesting uh, conversation, hopefully lined up, that has to do with something completely different, which is. Uh, the current state of things in Puerto Rico after the devastating hurricane and and some of the, um, the efforts being made there to uh, restore uh, power and water and that kind of thing. So hopefully that conversation can take place. But one of the um, things that I, I have been interested in for some time is what is now uh, most commonly referred to as the opioid epidemic. Um, it seems that I can't really go a day without uh, finding information uh, about this. Um, now that has a lot to do with our line of work and the fact that on social media, on Twitter, I, I follow things like the CDC or things like SAMHSA or the Department of Health and Human Services, those kinds of things, National Institute on Drug Abuse. So these stories, uh, because I follow these things on, on Social media; these stories are presented to me every day, and and um, and every so often there'll be a story on the maybe on the national news on television about about some aspect of the opioid epidemic. So as we uh, sort of think about these podcasts, I've really uh, tried to figure out how we could best cover this very complex idea. Um, several months ago, we did a podcast with a. Uh, legislator here in the state of Michigan, and we talked about some of the the um, legislative uh, efforts um, in uh, to address the uh, uh, opioid epidemic. And uh, interestingly enough, I saw in um, the uh, in my local newspaper just over this past weekend that uh, one of the things that we discussed in that podcast, a database wherein uh, prescriptions. Uh, for individuals can be tracked. Um, that law was passed here in the state of Michigan, and 
And I think that those efforts are going to move forward. That's one of the things we discussed in the um, in that recent podcast. We also discussed things like limiting uh, supplies of narcotics to seven day uh, uh, prescription, um, a seven a seven day supply rather than a thirty day supply, and and things like that. So, uh, you know, that was an interesting conversation. But that was just one angle. I think we can. Um, it's it's clear to me that we're going to take a look at this from from multiple angles. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm talking to you today. Uh, but as I, I look at this uh, opioid crisis and think about how we might want to uh, talk about it, I just get overwhelmed with the numbers. I think I could sit here for uh, uh, quite a long period of time and just quote you the statistics that I've seen uh, and that I've got uh, here uh, covering my desk. Um, and I think that's one way to look at it, but I think it's hard sometimes to understand what those numbers really mean. Uh, but they can be, uh, when we stop and look at them, they can be uh, pretty staggering. For example, I'm just looking at uh, a single infographic here, and it's just covered with information that really is eye-opening, uh, including the fact that uh, that according to uh, Health and Human Services, which I, I would think is a fairly reliable source, 170,000 people a year use heroin for the first time. That's a staggering number, just a staggering number. And we add that to the fact that uh, uh, 116 people die every day from an opioid-related overdose. That is a staggering number. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I can tell you that, that uh, uh, it, it has touched our family uh, we had a, a member of, of, of extended family who uh, passed away last year from a heroin-related uh, uh, overdose. Um, again, you know, not somebody that uh, I was particularly close to, but but close enough to where uh, those those kinds of things can hit home. But these numbers can be overwhelming, and I think um, uh, while it's 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 worthwhile to talk about them. Uh, and it's it's something that we can put our attention on because it helps us understand what the scope of the of the health crisis is. I think it would be all, all, also worthwhile in these podcasts to to talk about some personal stories and, and talk about uh, just exactly what it's like for people who are involved uh, with opioids or their loved ones and, and so on and so forth. So we're gonna we're gonna take uh, multiple approaches to this, but. Having said that, I do want to talk about one more number that I, w- I, I was really stunned by. And if you are um, interested in, in, in this at all, I would have you uh, find yourself a copy of the March 5th, 2018 uh, special edition of Time magazine. Uh, the special edition was called The Opioid Diaries. And there are a series of photographs in this uh, edition of Time Magazine and some stories. Uh, and it, they just do a very good job of covering um, uh, this issue from all different angles, from, from families to um, uh, people who are actively using to recovering people to uh, first responders and, and, and so on. It's just a, it's, it's re- it really, uh, I think, does a very good job of putting a face on this opioid epidemic, um, but one and one, but the number in that magazine that jumped out at me when I read it, I, I had to reread it, 
and and it was the fact that um, in both 2015 and 2016, here in the United States, one of, one of the richest countries in the world, here in the United States, in both 2015 and 2016, the average life expectancy went down. To me, that was shocking, and I think. Uh, the the magazine goes to, goes on to, to point out how that is in part related to this opioid epidemic. To me, that was the thing that uh, that stood out to me. And all of these numbers, one hundred and seventy thousand, or two point one million, or five hundred four billion in economic costs. All these all these numbers that that I read over and over again, and and uh, uh, and even even this idea that there there are sixty thousand deaths in a year. Uh, none of that really got my attention, I think, like the idea that life expectancy here in the United States has gone down in recent years. Um, I guess if, if there's, to me anyway, if there's anything that illustrates just the significance and the size of the impact, it's, those, it's that number. Um, so uh, that, that really stuck with me. Um, now we're, uh, another thing too, you know, I, I have... I read stories where I hear things, and I think, well, this is something we should talk about in a podcast, and and uh, and we should take this approach, and we should talk to to, to these folks, or or we should kind of look at it from this angle. And so, uh, it's become clear to me that this is something that we're going to cover over multiple podcasts. But I remember last year, uh, last fall, I was driving in my car when. When somebody reached out to me and told me that Tom Petty had passed away, now uh, you know, uh, being of a certain age, I've been a, uh, a fan and continue to be a fan of Tom Petty's music, very much so. Um, but but somebody contacted me when I, I was in my car last October and said that Tom Petty had passed away, and I you know I was of course to, you know surprised by that and saddened by that. Uh, it was shortly thereafter, hearing that news, that I heard that, you know, the stories started to come out about how on his most recent tour he had been in pain, I think, from a from a hip injury or something similar to that. And and uh, so when the news came out some months later that uh, opiates had played a part in his death, I it, it's sad to say, I guess the reality is I wasn't surprised. Um, same thing, you know, you hear that uh, about the death of Prince and the fact that, that uh, he had a, an extremely high level of fentanyl in his system. And the fact that, you know, that that didn't surprise me uh, really got my attention. I thought, well, you know, the fact that I'm not surprised by this means that, that this is so um, widespread that we're not surprised when we hear these things. And these are just, you know, two very, very famous, very well-known entertainers, you know, let alone the 60,000 other people who have died in the course of a year. So uh, it just uh, uh, stays with me, and I think I think I, I want to uh, spend some time in these podcasts diving in a little bit deeper. So to that end, I want to tell you that we are, I'm very excited to, to uh, uh Talk about the, one of the podcasts we have scheduled here before the end of April. Uh, I'm going to be talking with uh, Judge Linda Davis. Judge Linda Davis is a, ju- a drug court judge here in Macomb County, Michigan. 
Uh, she's also affiliated with a program called Hope Not Handcuffs. And um, she uh, she's quite a go-getter, and she is really working to put together partnerships with law enforcement and treatment uh, to provide pathways for people who uh, find themselves uh, caught up in uh, opiates and other narcotics to find a path, uh, not through law enforcement, but through uh, treatment, through drug court, with the assistance of law enforcement. So I'm sure that when we sit down to talk, we're going to talk about uh, hope, not handcuffs. And we'll talk about um, what exactly happens in a drug court. Uh, I happen to be a fan of drug courts. I think I think the concept is great. I'm gratified to see that around the country, uh, we'll see thousands of new drug courts pop up. I think it's a great approach. Um, now, the, that approach is limited. Uh, drug courts um, certainly are uh, dependent on, on whatever funding sources they have. And I think the caseloads, uh, the ability of, uh, or the number of of uh, a person's a number of clients that they can see is limited by this funding. So, uh, um, but but as the evidence mounts that these drug courts work, hopefully we'll see more and more and more of them. Uh, for our part here at ADE, uh, just a bit of a, a shameless plug here. Um, those of you that listen to our podcast know that we uh, provide uh, as part of our work. We provide substance abuse assessments, and and, uh, as a result of the opiate uh, epidemic, if you will, uh, we created uh, an assessment uh, specifically for opiate and opiate users, and I'm hoping that that we can play some small part in uh, helping folks um, get the help that they need. You know, I've been around uh, a long time, and in my in my career, I've said this uh, to groups of people as I do uh, presentations uh, over the last few years. Uh, back in in the in the late '80s, I, I was involved in in a, in a treatment program, and um, we had a, a it, this was an inpatient program, seventy six bed inpatient program, and we had uh, folks. Um, they used alcohol, folks that used drugs, folks that used drugs and alcohol. But we were dealing with uh, what might have been called an epidemic at that time, and, and, and that was uh, uh, crack cocaine. And we decided that within our treatment program, we would build a, a treatment track specifically for uh, users of crack cocaine. And uh, uh, I don't want to go into it too far here, but there, there were uh, uh, some successes that came out of that. And I think we learned some things out of that, just sort of some unintended consequences that came out of that. Yeah, but that was you know sort of an experience that, that we had dealing with an epidemic, if you will. And I, I use that word sort of in, in air quotes, but an epidemic, if you will. And then uh, years later, um, we started to see uh, a lot of attention uh, paid to methamphetamines over the last five to seven to ten years. Uh, not only uh, in the treatment programs that I was sort of affiliated with, but in popular culture and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I remember clearly, and I, I've used this example many times, um, uh, in, my, in my travels, I, I happened to stay at a hotel, and hotels often have the USA Today newspaper uh, available to you. And I remember one morning I picked up the USA Today paper, and on the front page of the USA Today, above the fold, so I mean, they were giving significant 
attention to this. There was an article about how the United States needed more funding and more treatment to address the methamphetamine uh, epidemic, if you will. And I thought to myself at that time, well, that, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We've had this conversation before about other drugs. And now we're uh, in uh, 2018 here, and, and we're having a similar conversation about opioids. And there's some, uh, there's some differences, though. I think, you know, we're, not, we're seeing just staggering numbers of deaths. And one of the things that I'm interested in talking to Judge Davis about is, is uh, what these things have in common and what makes this opioid epidemic in, in 2018, what makes it different. Um, is it, you know, is the number of deaths uh, make this uh, a much more severe crisis than ones we've dealt with in the past? Um, is this focus, uh, one of the concerns I would have is, is this focus on, on opioids uh, distracting us? Are, are we taking our attention off of, of the, the still current and still very significant uh, methamphetamine problem in the United States? As well as, of course, the significance of um, you know, the alcohol uh, use in the United States. Uh, are we, are, is our attention being diverted from those things onto this current opioid crisis? Is that true? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? And, and, and that sort of thing. So I'm interested in her perspective on that. Um, I'm also interested in, and this will probably be, again, a, 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 we'll touch on this issue probably in a, in a number of podcasts, but this idea of, um, of medicinal and, and recreational marijuana. Uh, there is a significant argument can, to be made that that if marijuana were legalized, uh, less people would use opioids for pain management. Uh, I think that's, a, that's an idea, a conversation worth pursuing. Uh, and again, in my, in my personal and my professional uh, conversations, I've, had people, I've talked to people on both sides of, of that argument. Uh, here in, in, in Michigan, as you know, I'm coming to you from the state of Michigan. Uh, it's very, very likely, from what I understand, that, uh, that the idea of recreational marijuana will be on the ballot uh, here in Michigan soon. Uh, public opinion polls that I've seen say that it would probably pass and, and we would be one of the next wave of states to have legal recreational marijuana. Uh, again, I, I don't know that that's true. That, that, that seems to be my perception of it. I, I'm interested in what Judge Davis has to say about that. But that may be another podcast series. But that is related to this opioid conversation because the argument that that uh, if marijuana were more readily available for pain management, less people would rely on opiates and other narcotics. Um, that may or may not be true, but I think it's a conversation worth having. So I'm looking forward to to continuing this conversation. I'm looking forward to continuing to learn more. Uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to talk to Judge Davis. So. So uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast, if you will, or, or, or look for uh, the podcast that, that, we're, that we have planned, uh, scheduled here. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, if you're interested, um, uh, you can find Judge Davis online. You can, I, I've seen some YouTube videos of her speaking, and, and Hope Not Handcuffs, is, is, you, can, you can look them up online. And um, These folks uh, uh, do some great work. Um, and so uh, we want to support that in any way we can. And if ADE uh, can play a part of that, we'd be, of course, very happy to. I uh, thank you for your continued support of these podcasts. Um, we, uh, we plan to continue to do them. If you have 
a podcast idea. If you'd like to be a part of a podcast, I'd love to talk to you. Um, uh, this has been just a tremendous amount of uh, uh, fun for me uh, to talk to people, to meet people through the podcast, and, and to learn. Um, and uh, and I look forward to continuing that. So again, thanks for your support. If you have any feedback for, or ideas for us, uh, please get a hold of us. Thank you very much.